0: This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Legend of the Bones. Following in the footsteps of giants, Legend of the Bones is a chimera, a mix of old-school tabletop RPG and dark fantasy storytelling. As its name might suggest, in Legend of the Bones the dice rule. There'll be no re-rolls, no fudging the dice, no metacarncy. The role of the bones will determine the character's destiny and no one will be spared their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone. Last time on Legend of the Bones. The companions dealt with the aftermath of their battle with Nedre, the Serpent Queen, and the loss of Kier, Bjorn and Yura. With Lena unconscious, scarred and near death, and Canute badly injured, the party decided to rest for the night within the fortress of Kherodou. Beric awoke in the early hours, unable to sleep, and decided to leave the room in which the companions were secured, where he encountered a ghost of a young woman. After gaining the Phantom's trust, the apparition directed the warrior to a loose stone in the wall, where Beric found a name, Cirque, scratched into the back, and beyond, a hidden brooch. Whilst the ghost was unable to talk, his visual responses led Beric to determine that Cirque was a friend or relative of the woman. After he had promised to take the brooch to Cirque, the Phantom led Beric back down into the Underkeep, and to an unexplored chamber, a crypt, and showed the warrior the location of an enchanted sword called Kallus Kleda. The next day, after recovering the treasures of Kerudu, the companions built a pyre and set the evil place aflame, before beginning their journey back to the Uberdraka. Chapter 32 Part 1 Day 35 Morning Party Status Beric 18 out of 28 hit points. Lena, 16 out of 20 hit points. Valen, 15 out of 15 hit points. Talion, 16 out of 21 hit points. Canute 21 out of 24 hit points. Spells available. Valen has memorized push, shield, soothe, and revive. Talion has memorized Poetic Prose, Resolve, and Pitch. Lena can pray for one second level miracle. From its humble roots as a fishing village, the coastal town of Porthiane had grown over the centuries to become an important waystop for vessels navigating the Moor Peninsula. Helped not least by the founding of the monastery at Idyxquim, as pilgrims far and wide arrived at the town as the nearest port that could accommodate their ships. But since the new abbot had been installed, not two years hence, the number of travellers making their way to the Blessed Isle had significantly reduced, and the town was beginning to feel the spectre of slow decline. So when word came that a longship approached with a crew some 40 strong, the innkeepers, smiths and shopkeepers were hopeful for new business. It mattered not that they were Scarnay, for despite the ravages of recent memory, it was widely known that Lord Conwyn of Trevenid employed such northmen and these came bearing his flag. The companion's return journey over the Felmors had been thankfully uneventful, and upon reaching the ship, the crew had constructed a pyre on the beach, so that Eora's body could be committed to the flames, as was the custom of her people. After, and in need of rest and recovery, the decision to make for Porthiane had been an easy one, not least as the wind had picked up and the dark clouds on the horizon threatened inclement weather. On arrival, the companions had been greeted by an expectant patrol of soldiers. A rather weary sergeant was cordial but direct, and instructed Canute to keep his crew on a tight leash, else they would find themselves turned away into the approaching storm. It was not lost on the soldier that several of the new arrivals were badly injured, and so they were instructed to report to the reeve on the morrow. The crew were organised into small groups and ordered by Canute to find accommodation in the town's taverns to behave themselves and await further instruction. The Companions had taken rooms at the Black Gull, one of the town's better-kept taverns, though in truth there was not much distinction. The place was clean yet basic, and had enough available rooms to accommodate the Companions, as well as Talion, Canute and Jenna, the young woman they had rescued from Kero The Gull's innkeeper was a grizzled man of middling years called Arthek. He was tall and broad and no doubt in his youth he would have been an imposing man, but years of easy living behind a bar had turned muscle into flab. Arthur had been appreciative of the business, though he was quick to bemoan to his new patrons the town's decline since the traffic of pilgrims to Innes had diminished. The companions listened politely, not least as they were too exhausted to do anything else, and after a meal of pottage, bread and ale, they eagerly retired to their beds. It was barely dawn when Valenna woke. He was always early to rise, but the rain lashing violently against the shutters had roused him from his slumber. He dressed silently, taking care not to disturb Lena, who still slept in the other cot. She stirred, rolling over, but remained asleep. He left the room and went downstairs where Arthek was already setting up for the day. He handed the innkeeper some nettle leaves from his pouch and asked that they be infused in boiling water. The burly man raised an eyebrow at the request, but went off to the kitchen to perform the task. Taking a chair by the hearth, he opened his spellbook and began his morning ritual of committing his spells to memory. After, he turned his attention to the spellbook recovered from Netre's lair. He ran his hand over the snakeskin cover. Then opening the book, he began to read. Pouring over the pages, he quickly recognised the dark nature of the enchantments, save one which seemed innocuous enough, yet it was beyond his ability to fully comprehend. He retrieved his ink and quill and methodically scratched the incantation into his own spellbook, before debating in his mind what to do with the dark tome. This was power after all. Power he could use. It was tempting. The thought of Lena suddenly came into his mind, the sight of her scarred and near death. No, he thought. He hesitated, then threw the book onto the fire. The pages quickly curled up, catching the flames, as the snakeskin cover blistered under the heat. He half expected something more dramatic, but no, it simply burned. The mage sat back. And picked up the mug of nettle infusion from the stall beside him. He had not even noticed when the innkeeper had brought it over, and it briefly crossed his mind that the man would have thought him rude. He took a sip of the steaming infusion and sighed, thinking back over the past few days. Whilst he understood the sense of it, he had since chided himself for having let Lena and the others face death without him. Never again, he thought. A creak on the wooden stairs interrupted his introspection, and looking up, he saw Beric coming down the steps. The big man was drawn and haggard, and Phelan was all too aware how deeply Beric felt Keir's loss, for the two men had become firm friends. The warrior sat in the chair opposite, and vigorously rubbed his face with his hands. Bad night? Phelan asked. Beric nodded in reply. I could help you sleep tonight, he offered. Beric looked up. The big man's eyes were red-rimmed. Thank you, but Lena is in need of your skill more than I. To his surprise, Valen could feel his cheeks flush. You love her, do you not? The mage was slightly taken aback by the directness of Beric's question, and ordinarily he would have attempted to evade it, but after everything that had happened, only the truth would suffice. Yes, he said softly. I love her. Beric allowed himself a small smile. Hold on to it, my friend, he advised, before sitting back in the chair and looking towards the shuttered window. There's a tempest outside. I thought it right that Valen should face a moral dilemma when it came to Ned's spellbook, and I decided to let the dice decide what action he would take. Off mic, I rolled a wisdom check for the mage, and the result was a 2. With wisdom prevailing, the mage decided that the dark power that existed in the tome was too great a risk to hold onto. The spell he transcribed is Clairvoyance, but the mage will need to reach at least level 5 before he could be able to master it. Now the companions are backing the relative safety of a town, I found myself at a crossroads with regard to the party. Having lost Kia, there's an opportunity for either or both Talian and Knut to transition into player characters. I don't think this should be automatic though, as it would be rather trite just to slot them in. So I'm going to let the dice decide. For Talian, I'm going to make a reaction roll. I will apply Lena's plus one bonus and I will also add an additional plus one due to his shared heritage with Valen. Here is the roll. A modified eight. That means the Bard is uncertain. guess that makes sense. Talion has witnessed horrors in their company and risked his life. I will need to make a second roll. A modified ten. That's a success. Despite everything, the Bard has formed a bond with the companions and decides that his fate is tied to theirs. Canute is a bit more tricky though, because I do not provide his voice. John is no doubt a busy guy, and I don't want to impose. Okay, I'm going to make a reaction roll for the warrior as well. If the result is favourable, then I will leave the decision in John's hands. If he is willing and able, then Canute will transition to a player character like Talion. Though first I need to make the reaction roll. Given Canute's allegiance to Lord Colwyn, this will be unmodified. A 6. That is uncertain. Again, this makes sense. Canute is feeling conflicting loyalties. Another roll, then. A twelve! Wow! That is decisive. But hang on. There is another factor. Canute is in the service of Lord Conwyn. I've never determined the nature of this service, and I guess there are two possibilities. The first is that Canute and his men are mercenaries. The second is that for some reason, Canute is oath-bound. I'm going to ask the Oracle. Is Canute oath-bound? A four. That's a yes-but. Okay. That but tells me there's something different about the oath. I wonder, does the oath allow Canute some discretion to act in Lord Conwyn's interests? Another yes-but. Okay, I think that gives me enough to work with. Right then. I'd better message John. Back in a minute. Okay, I'm back and John has kindly agreed to voice Canute for as long as I need, thanks my friend, though I will need to figure out how Canute will square this with Lord Conwyn. Whilst I'm here behind the screen, the Companions will pay a local smith to repair their armour and weapons. I'm going to rule that the repairs cost 20% of the item's value. Also, now that he is in possession of Calus Kleda, Beric will trade in his old sword, meaning that the party spends a net of 15 gold on repairs and resupplies. In addition, Knut gives 40 gold to the crew for their board and entertainment whilst in the town. Finally, given the amount of healing the party needs at the moment, I will for now make these rolls off Mike, unless Lena or Valen roll a critical success or failure. Hit points recovered will be reflected in the party status update. Okay then, time to get back to the narrative. Chapter Thirty Two, Part Two, Day Thirty Six, Afternoon. Party Status: Beric, twenty-two out of twenty-eight hit points. Lena, twenty out of twenty hit points. Valen, fifteen out of fifteen hit points. Talian, twenty-one out of twenty-one hit points. Knut, twenty-two out of twenty-four hit points there is no change to the spells available. The companions followed the patrol through Porthian streets towards the barracks. The sun glared off the wet cobblestones, stinging their eyes, whilst rivers of rainwater flowed down the gullies on either side of the road. A drenched messenger had come to the Black Guard the previous day, and informed the companions that they would be fetched to meet the reeve once the storm had abated. And true to this, A few hours after the rain had ceased, a patrol of soldiers appeared to escort them. The same sergeant as before led the patrol, and he explained that the town's garrison had been busy dealing with flooding caused by the swollen river over which the town straddled. Indeed, as they passed through streets near the river, companions witnessed a number of properties where large sections of the ground floor walls had crumbled away, and had been shored up with makeshift repairs. Shortly, they arrived at the barracks, a stone and timber keep of an older style to the building in Halstone. Banners hung from the walls, denoting a rearing unicorn on a blue field. The patrol was dismissed, and the sergeant led the companions inside. After passing through an antechamber, where petitioners were availing themselves upon a pair of clerks, the group came to a pair of heavy, square-panelled doors. The sentries nodded the sergeant through and the party found themselves in a hall. The chamber was gently illuminated by two mullion windows on the east wall, out of which a courtyard could be observed. A hearth occupied the west wall, and the rest of the room was empty save for a number of floor-standing candelabras, and a wide table at the far end over which a mailed man was stooped. On hearing the companion's footsteps, the man straightened up from the map he had been studying and turned to face the new arrivals. He was lean, middle-aged, with close-cropped grey hair and beard, and blue eyes framed by crow's feet. His mail was sand-polished, causing it to glint in the candlelight, and about his shoulders was a blue woolen cloak. His face was expressionless as the companions approached, and instead the man gave a stiff nod before introducing himself.
1: I am Garret, Reeve of Porthien. Arm of Petrock, Lord of pen
0: I am going to make a reaction roll for the party. If this was a one-on-one interaction, then I would make a charisma check, but I think there are a number of factors at play which make a reaction roll more appropriate. Firstly, Knut, Tarlyan and Lena all get plus one to their reaction rolls, so I'm going to apply this bonus. Secondly, Garrod is a shrewd man, with his ear to the ground, so I think it makes sense that he may have already heard about the party's exploits at Kero Do. After all, gossip spreads fast. On that basis, I will award another plus one. Finally, I'm going to ask the Oracle whether Garrod's Lord, Petroc, is an ally to Lord A 4. That's a yes but. okay. that could be interesting, but for the sake of this reaction roll, I will award another plus 1. That means I will apply a total of plus 3 to the roll. Here it is. A modified 9. With a positive reaction, I'm going to ask the oracle whether Garrod knows what is going on at Inis Gwyn. A 1. That's a no and. That suggests to me that the Reeve may divulge some information which is not actually true. And what of the Brethren of the Purifying Light? Has the Reeve had dealings with them? A five, that's a straight yes. Okay then. Garrett observed each of the companions in turn, then seemingly satisfied, his lips spread into a surprisingly warm smile given the stiffness of his introduction. Welcome, he declared sharply. Branagh sent word that you might find your way to Porhien, he explained. This caught the companions by surprise. You must be Berwick, he stated, addressing the warrior. Yes, my lord, Berwick replied. The big man was curious. garrett by both name and accent, was clearly not a native of Power Moor. Rather, Beric placed his accent from Bernica, a kingdom adjacent to his own homeland of Wessas.
1: And Canute Haraldson, your reputation precedes
0: you. Knut simply nodded. Sister, he said, acknowledging Lena, the blessing of the Nine be upon you, my lord. Garrett nodded his appreciation in response.
1: Valen and Talien of Llanris
0: this time acknowledging the two Weyland men. Come,
1: we have much to
0: discuss. The companions were offered seats at the table, and a servant came with mugs of ale for their refreshment. Garrett explained that he and Brannock knew each other well, having fought alongside each other for their respective lords. He clearly respected Halstone's Reeve and showed the companions the letter he had received so that they could be sure of his integrity.
1: These are troubling times, he explained. I would not expect you to trust me, nor I would you,
0: if Branagh had not sent word. Garrett asked the companions to recount their tale in their own words, which they proceeded to do. The Reeve listened intently, interrupting occasionally to ask a point of clarification, else only responding with a raise of an eyebrow or widening of his eyes. When they were done... The reeve sat back in his chair, considering what he had heard. "'It is plain to see,' he began, breaking his silence,
1: "'that you have sacrificed much. But you have done a great deed, for which I and this town are grateful. These lands have long been blighted by that cursed place,' he said,
0: referring to Kerudu.
1: "'And I am sorry for your loss,'
0: he added. My lord, Beric interrupted, with deference befitting Garrett's rank. What can you tell us about Abbot Wiglaf? I cannot fathom why he would demand such a trial to access the monastery's library. Garrett's face became dark.
1: Only that the man is a weasel? His policies have brought hardship for the folk of this town, and others my lord Petrock's domain. But the monastery is free of my lord's authority and influence, and with the church holding sway in Trevance, there is naught my lord can do. Gods know why the monks elected him. Wiglaf seems not to appreciate that such actions will also harm the blessed Isle. He's simply a man who revels in holding power over others.
0: And what are the brethren of the Purifying Light?
1: Lena asked.
0: Have you had dealings with them?
1: Aye, damned fanatics. A group passed through a month hence. Their leader, a bald man, bore the king's seal, so I had no choice but to open the gates. Fortunately, they seemed in a hurry and left my folk unmolested. They simply resupplied and moved on. Good riddance. But I know the folk in Halstone were not so fortunate. Word has it, that their influence grows across the realm. If they remain unchecked, I fear that war is on the horizon. Garrett clapped his hands together. But come, let us speak of more pleasant things. I invite you to be my guest on this night. I should like to hold a
0: feast in your honour. The honour would be ours, my lord. And on the morrow, we must depart. Very well. Canute bring your
1: men and return you all when the bell strikes seven.
2: That is gracious of you, my lord. Canute acknowledged. And if it pleases you, I have a boon to ask. Uh, Go on. I have a letter for Lord Conwin. It is of great import that it reaches his hands. Have you a messenger you trust who could take it?
1: Aye. I will see it done.
2: Then I thank you.
0: Garrett nodded.
1: These are dark times my friends, but you have brought some light to these lands, it's the least I can do."
0: So as the companions go off for a few hours, they will collect their equipment from the smithy, and Canute will send word to his crew. As well as compose his letter to Lord Conwen. Beric, meanwhile, has not forgotten his oath to return the Phantom's brooch to the mysterious Cirque, and I think it makes sense that he might ask Garrod if he knows anything. On that basis, I'm going to consult the Oracle once again. Does Garrod have any knowledge of who Cirque is, and where he may be found? A four, that's a yes but. Okay, as usual, I want to know whether Cirque is in some way tied to the larger events at play. A four. That's another yes but. OK then. Chapter 32. Part 2. Day 36. Evening. Party status the party status is unchanged. The hall of Porthéane's barracks was filled with the sound of merrymaking, as the garrison of Porthéane raised cups with the crew of the Überdacher. Long tables ran on either side of the hall, at which the warriors sat, whilst the companions occupied the table at the far end with Garrod, a place of honour by the reeve's side. Beric and Canute flanked the reeve on either side as befitting their status as warriors. Plates of venison, roasted fowl and fish were served, along with copious amounts of ale. Garrod was true to his word that this would be a feast. Beric thought of Kier, and the last time they sat together feasting in Lord Colwyn's Hall. The warrior leaned in, so that the Reeve would be able to hear him over the noise. My lord, if I may, I would like to ask you a question anything know you a person by the name of Sirk a look of surprise passed over the reeve's face why, that's not a name I've heard
1: in many a year he replied many years ago when I was a young soldier not long arrived on these shores there was a brother and a sister living here in Porfien Carenza and Sirk they were simple folk poor. The mother was dead, if I recall, and her father blind. The boy Sirk, he was a strange lad. Bizarre things would happen in his presence. What kind of things? Oh, nothing serious. Uh, an inexplicable light, or a gust of wind in a closed room. In any case, there was talk that he had the sight. The Reeve explained. Anyway... One day, a stranger came into town seeking Sirk. A woman, hooded and cowed, she was. Folk thought she was a witch, but none had the courage to ask. Next thing anyone knew, both Sirk and the stranger were gone, vanished without a trace. Garrett paused for a moment. As for Carenza, one day she left also. She said the stranger had told her, that a cure to her father's blindness lay in Do. Folk told her it was madness, but she would have none
0: of it. The reeve sighed. None ever saw her again. My lord, a voice called from the end of the table. It was Tallian. The hall fell silent. If it pleases you, I should like to perform for these good folk, he said, spreading his arms to indicate the crowd.
1: By all means, Master Bard, play.
0: Talion nodded in respect, then retrieving his harp, moved to sit upon a stool between the tables, so that the assembled company could see. Talion looked about, raising his voice so that all could hear. I dedicate this song to the friends we have lost: Kier, Bjorn, Yua. Their names shall ne'er be forgotten. And so with that, the bard began to sing.
2: In time of woe, the shadows grow, and light will fade as darkness falls. Fate shall reap what men hath so i now apart. we shall remain Proclaim.
0: Thank you for listening to Legend of the Bones. I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you like what you've heard, then please do consider giving it a positive review in your podcatcher of choice. Once again. Where would I be without my amazing and growing cast of voice actors? Playing the role of Garrett is a newcomer to the show and a voice that many of you may be familiar with. It's Dirk the Dice from the wonderful Grognard Files. I wonder if he stared at his homemade shrine to the actor Caroline Munro as he delivered his lines. Also returning to the show in the role of Knut is the maestro John Cohen, creator of Tale of the Manticore. Finally, I must once again shout out to the very talented Jim Hurst who collaborated with me on the song featured in this episode. Jim composed the music as well as arranged and produced the song, and I could not be more delighted with it. My sincere thanks to all three of you. I'll put these good folks' respective links in the show notes. You can also help by liking or reposting new episode announcements, or by recommending the show online or to a friend. You really can't beat the power of word of mouth. Alternatively, if you'd like to show your appreciation by buying me a metaphorical cup of tea, then I now have a Ko-fi page at ko-fi.com forward slash legendofthebones. Any donations will go towards the show's running costs. I would also love to know what you think of the show, and I do respond to every message I receive. So with that in mind, you can contact me on x at legendbones, mastodon at legendbones at ttrpg-hangout.social, Sky at legendbones, instagram at legendofthebones, Email at bones at gmail.com or go to legendofthebones.blogspot.com for show notes, house rules, character profiles, art, maps and more. Join me next time to find out what awaits our adventurers as the Bones decide their fate. None shall escape the destiny of Bone.
1: Hi. My name's Che Webster, the host of Roleplay Rescue, the podcast about rediscovering your lost role-playing games hobby. I started tabletop role-playing way back in the early 80s when D&D was the fastest-growing game and long before the Apple Mac. Over the years, I've watched dozens of friends drift away from the hobby because they simply couldn't carve out the space it asked of them. About five years ago, I asked myself what to do about it and the answer was to start recording the podcast. My mission is to connect with gamers who are looking for a way back. It's also about speaking honestly to the realities of the hobby, the anxieties, the trials, and the triumphs alike. If you've enjoyed hearing Simon Play Solo and you want to make role-playing regularly a reality, hop on over to Roleplay Rescue and have a listen. Roleplayrescue.com or search for the name in the podcast app of your choice. Game on.